What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy CK, and this is another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. This week, I sit down with Douglas Backham, the CEO and the co-founder of Shift Crypto, and we really have a fantastic conversation. We talk about everything from hardware UX, how to secure Bitcoin, all the way to how Bitcoin affects the people who use it. We got really cosmic as well as practical on this podcast. Give this show a listen. Go check out Shift Crypto and everything that they are building there. Before we get into it, let's talk about our sponsors. First, it's LVL.co. This is the new way to bank on Bitcoin. This is the way to get a USD FDIC insured checking account that sits right next to a Bitcoin wallet. And you can trade between that checking account and your Bitcoin wallet for free with no spread and no hidden charges. LVO wants you to bank on Bitcoin. LVO wants you to get paid in Bitcoin. You get paid in USD. It hits your USD account in LVL.co. And then that percentage of USD that you want into Bitcoin automatically gets turned into Bitcoin. You're effectively getting paid in Bitcoin. They have a ton of other great features. They have a pro premium suite that gives you ways to make interest Guys, check out LVL.co. Make sure to use code BTC Media so that way they know we sent you there. Next up is Stacks. You may recognize them as Block Stacks. Block Stacks is unlocking new use cases and functionality for the world's most secure, most important, and most resilient blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, without modifying Bitcoin itself. We all know that Bitcoin is hard to change and Blockstack, Stacks 2.0 blockchain, wants to help Bitcoin scale and wants to bring smart contracting functionality with the Clarity smart contracting language designed by Stacks and Algorand developers to bring DeFi and other sort of smart contracting capabilities to the BTC ecosystem. Stacks uses a proof of transfer or POX consensus mechanism, which enables Bitcoin to be pegged into the Stacks sidechain. People who hold STX tokens and are staking in order to ensure the STX consensus is maintained, they get paid out in regular BTC rewards. So you maintain the Stacks sidechain as a validator and you get paid BTC and Developers, users, people alike can use BTC and in a finance setting in a decentralized and robust fashion. Guys, go check out Stacks 2.0. It launched last week and go visit Stacks2.com. Again, that is Stacks followed by the number 2.com. All right, y'all, that is enough from me. Let's get into this podcast with the CEO of Shift Crypto, Douglas Backham. Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I am here with Douglas Backham, the co-founder and CEO of Shift Crypto. Douglas, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Happy to be here. So Douglas, we were just talking about how you started Shift Crypto and, and why. Why don't you kind of dive into what Shift Crypto does and, and, and why you guys started it? Yeah. So Shift Crypto, it's a company based in Switzerland. We make a hardware wallet. I think probably your audience is well, well familiar with hardware wallets. We strongly believe they're the best way to, to keep your coins secure. 
And we, I guess the background, yeah, founded the company originally in October 2015, together with Jonas Schnelli. Some of you might know Jonas, he's one of the Bitcoin core maintainers. And we've been building hardware wallets ever since then. And so in, I guess, the spring of 2016, we came out with the Bitbox 01. That's been on the market for a while, doing pretty good. But then we upgraded to the Bitbox 02. That's our current product. Bitbox 01 got retired. And yeah, and going with that. And I guess, how did we, how did we decide to get into it? I guess we each have our own, own thing. Myself, really interested in you know, a lot of aspects of, of Bitcoin. But in particular, I was really captivated by, you know, I guess its ability to kind of take away some power from centralized institutions, you know, kind of more and more control people through monetary policy, their banks or governments. And I thought the, this idea of um, financial sovereignty that, that Bitcoin can give to people was really attractive. And so I, I really wanted to do something that could help empower people, you know, somehow make Bitcoin accessible, equip individuals basically give them what they need to, to, to use Bitcoin, both in terms of simplicity and security, and built the company around that. And that, that's the, the short story, I guess. So I guess kind of going more specifically into your history, you know, how in 2015 or prior to that, were you even in position to realize that, you know, governments and central banks were, were manipulating their people? Yeah. So... Yeah, because of Bitcoin, Bitcoin kind of opens your eyes to to a lot of things in the world. When I first heard about Bitcoin was, I guess, a few years earlier in 2013. I happened to be in Japan at the time, and I just saw on the front page of some some national newspaper the word Bitcoin. I was like, this is really, really strange. Why are they talking about this monopoly money in this well-respected newspaper? So I went and started researching it. And quite quickly, I, I came to start to appreciate it, like in particular... So I have a, actually have an academic background, been in academia most of my life. I have a PhD in neuroengineering, some mechanical engineering stuff. And so I was, have kind of a, a scientific mindset. And so the scientific aspects of Bitcoin really caught my attention, in particular, the solution to the Byzantine generals problem, where basically solving the issue of trust on the internet. So if someone's, for example, someone sends you money, Bitcoin, for example, you don't have to worry about them suddenly taking that and spending it somewhere else, like a double spend. So you can be confident that what they sent you actually comes and arrives to you. And I thought that was you know, quite revolutionary. And then I immediately saw, okay, that's, that's powerful. That, that, can, that can be something. And to me, it was never, never an issue of, uh, will, will this technology shift the world? I think that, that's clear. It's just a matter of the implementation details. And you know, Bitcoin's proven itself for, for over a decade. And so it was really, really fascinating to get into that. And then, of course, once you find one of the rabbit holes to go down, you know, it takes you deeper and deeper and you start to realize, you know, what money means and, you know, uh, financial sovereignty and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the meme that Bitcoin is an orange pill or like the red pill in the matrix is very accurate, but it really does wake you up to a whole new world. And personally, for me, I think I was predisposed to Bitcoin. I was already into personal finance. I was already, you know, taking like those personality tests or those political tests, like I was hitting libertarian stuff like that. But 
it really just like, you know, so I was predisposed to appreciate it, but so much learning and, and awakening has happened, at least for me personally, and know others since, you know, finding Bitcoin. It's really amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, even being in it for half a decade or a decade, there's still so much to learn. And even more fascinating is, you know, what, what the future is going to hold. How is it actually going to, you know, take the grip of society and, and transfer society? So I want to talk about, you know, the shift crypto products and, you know, the UX of using Bitcoin. But I like where this conversation is going. It's going a little bit more cosmic. Have you been thinking about like, the mass implications of Bitcoin adoption? Like what does society kind of look like with with that kind of, I guess, yeah, with that, what's the word I'm looking for? If, if you're if you're assuming that that's how, you know, the money that people are using. Yeah, so I can't say I've gone too deep. For me, it's again, it's just, you know, this this is something powerful. And I think, you know, this concept of empowering people, giving power to the people. If you look back at history, you know, there's been great, great leaps in, in society and what's possible in society. You know, it's like some examples, the printing press, when that came out, suddenly you could share knowledge a lot easier. And of course, the internet really drastically changed, changed the whole world. And I think Bitcoin is a, another step in this direction, uh, probably of equal magnitude in the sense of democratizing money, giving power to the individuals over money. And so I can't really say what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be quite special. Of course, there's going to be uh, volatility, uh, just like the Bitcoin price. But in the end, you know, great, great technology, you know, can be used for, for good or bad. But overall, you know, it, it advances society, usually improves quality of life for people. And I think it can make, you know, kind of a bit more of a level playing field for society as a whole, maybe break down some barriers between people, break down some barriers between countries. And so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting what happens. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, similar things. I've definitely kind of like dug deep, but I, I personally think that like the the money that you have kind of instills like inherent values in you and Bitcoin has a specific value set. So I see Bitcoin as like a human behavior reinforcing mechanism. So I really kind of like think of Bitcoin adoption from a behavioral perspective and very interested to see like as more and more people adopt this money and this worldview, you know, what that does to kind of like mass behavior. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I I think one, maybe you know better than me, given our backgrounds, but I've always been kind of curious, I guess, or just not understanding this concept of targeting Governments want to target like some kind of inflation rate, two percent inflation rate. And if you look at what that causes, you know, governments want to always increase their their GDP every year. And if you look at some countries like you know Japan, some also in Europe, where the populations are declining, they're trying hard to get people to move into the country. They're trying hard to get the population to increase, all with this idea of you know supporting inflation, supporting social security, support supporting growing the GDP, but. If, if you look at the world, you know, we live on a finite world. So to me, it doesn't make too much sense because you can't do that infinitely. And I think some kind of more uh, sustainable mindset would make a lot more sense. And if you're talking about like the behavior of, of money, you know, Bitcoin with its fixed cap, its fixed supply, maybe that leads to you know, a lot more efficient use of resources. Maybe it leads to some kind of sustainable behavior in terms of economics. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's speculation, but 
it makes more sense. Time is finite. Resources are finite. Shouldn't your money be finite? Like if zooming out from an asset allocation perspective, we're seeing, you know, inflation and deflation, stagflation, just yeah. decline in productivity across the world right now. It makes you think that, you know, the way that we're allocating capital is kind of broken. Things just aren't really working right. So I'm hopeful that Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Douglas, let's talk about Shift. You know, I've actually used the Bitbox O2. I've used pretty much every hardware wallet out there. You guys have a really unique kind of way about going about, you know, developing this. You guys have like fully integrated with a lot of best practices around PSVT and and around UTXO selection and management and all that kind of stuff within your software. Can you talk about the actual Bitbox O2 wallet right now? And, you know, if someone were to get that, you know, what kind of feature set they'd be picking up? Yeah. So yeah, the Bitbox O2, I guess a little over a year ago, we launched it, redesigned it from the ground up based off of what we've learned from the Bitbox O1 tried to take what worked and tried to improve other aspects of it. For example, we kept the, one of the unique things is the SD card slot in it, which we use for instant, instantaneous backups and recovery. Just about every hardware wallet or software wallet, you have to, when you create a wallet, you have to make a backup, which is typically a, a word list, a mnemonic word list of 24 words. But a lot of feedback we got was this concept of mnemonic anxiety especially with new users, but even expert users where it felt really uncomfortable to uh, confusing, uncomfortable, a bit tedious to actually make these backups. And especially for new users, they don't understand the concept. And so it's like a stressful 20 minutes, 30 minutes, writing down these words, verifying these words and so on. They don't really understand what's going on. And so what we do with the, the SD card slot is it's on board the device itself, and it gives you basically instantaneous backup. And so the setup is really, really simple with our device. You still have an option to write down the seeds onto a piece of paper or stamp them into metal, but the the whole setup process is a lot easier. And concept of a, a backup is just a lot easier for people to to comprehend also. And the the Bitbox O2 has a screen, of course, has invisible touch sliders on the side of the device, as opposed to a touch screen on top. We think a lot of people are expected the, the sliders to not be intuitive or difficult to use, but we've got a lot of people positively surprised by how easy it is to use. I think it's quite innovative and give you interesting UX. And also practically, you can do things a lot faster. And so overall, the feedback we get is pretty great marks for the ease of use. So we, we do design it. I think if you're looking at the broader market and make, making it accessible and empowering people, you have to make it really, really simple. So we spend a lot of time focusing on that. So it's very approachable for, for users, even without deep, deep Bitcoin knowledge. But that said, we also have this concept of you know, allowing it to, to grow together with you. And so we do have a lot more advanced concepts, advanced in terms of the capabilities. We try to make it simple. But for example, you, you mentioned a couple of them, but the more things like coin control, where you can control the UTXO set. So basically, if someone sends you coins, you can control which coins get sent back out, which is good for privacy can manually set the fees. We are the first hardware wallet to offer full node support also. So you can connect your own node. We think that's extremely important for, for privacy. A lot of hardware wallet users, they don't quite realize that privacy is still an issue. And so if you have a hardware wallet, you get your security. But if you're connecting to a wallet, you still need to communicate to the blockchain. And typically you do that through the vendor's app. 
and the vendor will connect to their own uh, servers. And so if you're doing that, the vendor has the opportunity to basically know your whole financial history because they know what you're asking the blockchain about. They know how many coins you have on each address. And so I, I don't think right now any vendors are doing that, but they could. And I think the, the bigger issue would be, you know, for example, if law enforcement would come along and say, hey, tell me what coins this person has you know, with a court order. I haven't heard of that happening, but, but it's possible. And so with connecting your own full node, then you can basically eliminate that, that vulnerability, privacy vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of talk to that first feature you're talking about, which is the the kind of the the micro US, USB chip backup. I know that the seed phrase in particular has been a huge issue for the ledger hack, where today or yesterday, even more names were were leaked by the ledger e-commerce store. Oh, really? Yeah, yesterday it came from, directly from Ledger's account. You can go see on their Twitter. They're now finally implementing a new customer data safety policy where they will try to destroy data and stuff like that. But that honeypot has been leaked. And so effectively what these hackers do is they have your name, they have your email, your phone number, that kind of thing. And they're contacting you pretending to be Ledger. And then they're saying, you've been compromised. Here's a web page. Type in your seed so we can help you recover your funds. And then boom, once you type in those 24 words, they have your funds, they drain your account, they move it to an account that they control or a wallet that they control. So at least with if someone had been onboarded and had just used the backup with a chip, and I know that that's a feature that other hardware wallets are now rolling out, a newbie wouldn't have had that opportunity to hurt themselves. Because in the case of hardware wallets, you're correct. Mm. Most of the time, security-wise, you're good unless someone gets physical access of that device or you screw yourself up by giving someone your seed. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm of course familiar with the the ledger issue as as everyone is in the in the Bitcoin Twitter sphere. Yeah, crazy. And so I think yeah, I, I also read their their press release. I think yeah, the choices are are right uh, in sense of trying to get rid of uh, all the data. But yeah, it's too bad they didn't before. But yeah, so our our policy has always been only basically delete every personally identifiable information uh, as soon as possible. Of course, there's certain things you need, like um, a shipping address for until the device arrives, actually. But then we delete that after after 30 days. The support tickets, also, you have to think about deleting those after 30 days. Email lists, and so on and so on. Yeah, it's pretty scary. I don't mean to take us off the topic of specifically hardware wallets, but in terms of like kind of data security, computer systems security, I like to say sometimes Bitcoin fixes this and then sometimes Bitcoin fixes this by breaking this, right? And I feel like in the case of private key management, true levels of security, not trusting third parties with your software security. This is very much a case of Bitcoin fixes this by breaking this by it finally is a real issue because of Bitcoin. Can you kind of talk about, you know, where you see like how Bitcoin is going to harden the the way people build their internet infrastructure and the way that they interact online? Yeah, sure. So I, I think the the, I agree with you. I think the underlying issue there is, which is also what makes Bitcoin very, very special. Part of it is this, I guess, like the, the aspects that allow for censorship resistance for anybody to participate. It also means that you have to have a bit more self-responsibility for, for what's going on in the sense that gone is gone. So if someone gets your seed, someone gets access to your wallet, they can transfer the funds and it's gone. You're not going to be able to get it back. 
And so that's, that's what makes Bitcoin powerful and decentralized, but it's also one of these things that I guess it fixes it by breaking it. And so I think, you know, it's, it's a bit of um, a shift in perspective in, in people's minds that, that has to happen where, you know, if you look at the idea of a password, people are very used to the concept of if my pass, if I lose my password, someone's going to bail me out. You know, I can, can write somewhere and get my password reset and have access again but that just doesn't happen in Bitcoin. And so when it comes to security, I think it ups the scale quite a bit when you're dealing with, with Bitcoin in a number of ways. In one way in particular, you know, you can look at like ATM cards or bank transfers or credit cards. Uh, you know, you, if, if a mistake happens there, you can also reverse that, chargebacks and, and things like that. And so the security, like the hardware security for those systems, of course, people try to make them very secure, but there's still still you know ways to to mitigate things, and so they're not as secure as they could be. Whereas in Bitcoin, given gone is gone, you need to make sure that nothing's going to happen, and so you have to up the level of security both in in terms of your hardware itself, but also in terms of the I guess the way people behave. Yeah, and personally, again, like I said, I think Bitcoin is a behavior reinforcement mechanism. So all the people who are used to, you know, getting their password reset, it's because they're used to fiat centralization, and now yep. uh, they're going to be entering into the world of uh, Bitcoin personal responsibility. So yeah, <laughs> they have no choice: exactly. <laughs> become self-responsible or get wrecked. It's like protect your house key or someone's going to rob you, lock your door or else someone's going to break in. So that's kind of like the new paradigm that Bitcoin introduces. Yeah, exactly. And so I think the, the concept of taking self-responsibility, I think that's a healthy thing in society. Of course, it's a scary thing with, with the things we talk about, how you can lose your funds. But I think in the end, that's the job of the industry, the Bitcoin industry to try to make it, you know, and hardware wallets in particular, to try to make it very simple and very safe so that you don't necessarily have to worry about that as much. So I think this is a great segue to get us back into hardware wallets <laughs> and like the UX around it. Personally, I have been incredibly thrilled to kind of see the development of multi-sig in particular and multi-sig coordinators and multi-sig coordinators that connect to Bitcoin Core directly, you know, emerge in things like Spectre, Sparrow Wallet, Nunchuck, now Blue Wallet from a mobile perspective, this kind of like software development has been super exciting. And just see, getting closer and closer to connecting, you know, Shift Crypto's wallet, as well as many other vendors' wallets to kind of these software coordinators is getting closer. Can you kind of talk about the current state of like key management UX, self-sovereign key management UX, and, you know, what's your current impression? Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned some Spectre, Nunchuck, Sparrow. I think they're really, really great developments to, you know, make make a great uh, user experience for for using multisig. And so, with the the Bitbox itself, with our hardware wallet, we are for sure interested in multisig. In fact, we've done some quite in depth research on multisig itself. Um, right now, we have multisig support in Electrum for for quite a while, and it's coming soon to to Spectre, Nunchuck, and Sparrow. We talk to them a lot, and we'll have. Uh, Within the next weeks, I believe, we'll actually have an integration with them. One thing that's been delaying us compared to others is we wanted to do some research about what the state of the art is in multisig in terms of security. And yeah, multisig, it gets, gets a lot of press, but it's also actually, I would say, maybe if you don't know what you're doing, it's probably a bigger risk security-wise in terms of user error. 
and just the setup than a single SIG at the moment. We have a couple of blog posts on that where we talk about some of the pitfalls in multi-SIG. One of my colleagues, Marco, just also recently wrote a blog post where basically we did a review of multi-SIG implementations and I think almost all of them you're, you're at risk of losing funds. And so, yeah. Interesting. It, yeah. And so, yeah, we have a blog post. Your listeners can go get some more details. And so we, of course, when we did our multi-sig setup, we try to mitigate against all that. And so it should be safe. But for example, some of the pitfalls, I can mention two in particular. One is when recovering your funds. Let's say, for example, you have a two or three multi-sig setup. We actually need all three pub keys in order to recover your funds and two private Or the coordinator. Yeah. If you lose the coordinator, then you have to have all three. Yeah, exactly. And so... If you know people think, oh, two, two or three multisig. If I lose one one device, one wallet, I'm okay. But you have to be sure that you have that backed up. And then another thing, the is, mission critical backup. That's true. There's a one of one backup, or I guess yeah. two of two, or you know, two of one. If you say the backup plus the the actual coordinator device. So that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And then another one is a lot of uh, implementations. They're not verifying the XPubs of your cosigners. And so if they're not doing that verification, if you have malware on your computer, they can swap out your XPUB for something owned by an attacker and basically either hold your coins ransom or even gain full control of your coins. And so manually verifying your cosigner XPUBs, uh, their, their wallets, is a necessary step also. But all that said, you know, multi-sig, I guess it's been around less time than single-sig. And so it has to go through some, you know, some hardening. And I think it is. And, you know, eventually when that call gets ironed out, of course, it's going to be quite quite important feature. Yeah, I, I appreciate how you guys are kind of like treading slowly. And the reality is that Bitcoin is open source and, and permissionless. So everyone can tread at their certain level and speed. And we've seen a lot of other manufacturers jump in head first. I do think that based on my experiences setting up a lot of these different coordinators and messing around with this myself, like I, I get the argument. And I think Rodolfo from CoinKite has also made this as well as like setting up a single SIG with a good backup. In his case, he recommends a, a steel engraved seed, but in your case, you'd, you'd maybe recommend the micro SD. You know, that is still a very, very strong security and it does eliminate a lot of room for error as long as they have the backup stored securely and then they have a good single SIG hardware wallet that they are protecting. So I, I definitely see that. And, you know, I'm hopeful for multi-SIG. I ho I'm hopeful for beginners multi-sig becomes more approachable, but it's, I would say it's still an advanced feature right now, for sure. Yeah, me too. Now, I think to expand on that, you know, a common concept in, in security is that just UX is also important. So simpler is often safer. And right now I think single sig is that. Of course, there's certain use cases where, where multi-sig does make sense. For example, you have a multi-vendor multi-sig where you use different hardware wallets to reduce the vendor risk if there's a bug in, in one of them, for example. I think another nice nice concept that we've been thinking about is also, you know, if if you have your life savings on in Bitcoin, you know, there's the attack, the five dollar wrench attack, where someone you know uses a five dollar wrench to to physically extract the seed from your brain. <laughs> but if you have a multi sig set up there, you know, you can you can diversify, you know, you can hide it in a bank vault where there's some kind of physical entrance required and so on to actually mitigate against the $5 wrench attack. I think that's probably one of the most interesting use cases of multi-sig. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it just it, it truly makes Bitcoin like that next level programmable. It, it makes it so like I feel like a single hardware device. It kind of makes it akin to gold. Like, hey, you have this bear of custody, but now with multisig, it's like this is like a new level of custody storage capabilities that is far and beyond you know just what a you know what previously existed in the bare instrument world mm. yeah exactly but still you know there there is a lot of things to kind of, kind of iron out there what else should we talk about in terms of like storing and holding your your bitcoins like i feel like this topic there's a lot of ways we can kind of take it yeah let's see where where should we take it i got a question actually yeah what is the biggest mistake that a new person getting like trying to take their own custody makes in your opinion? What do you think is like the biggest pitfall, the scariest thing for a new person trying to take custody? Let's see. Well, I, I think the, the biggest risk for, for people trying to take custody is again, this, you know, some of these new mental concepts like gone is gone that, you know, if you lose your password to your wallet, you're going to lose your coins. And so I think some of the some of these mental concepts like that are are the key things that need to be overcome. I guess in terms of education, in terms of wallets, you know, being really explicit about educating people. So I think you, you mentioned before, like you know, I, I think with hardware wallets, a lot of the conversation is around like how they can fail, like what are the hacks that come up with them, and so on a lot more so than maybe software wallets. But the reason for that is because hardware wallets are designed to be the best, the most secure way to hold keys. And so people are going to focus on that. But even with all of these, this talk around it, they're still by far the, the, the most secure way to hold, hold coins. And so software wallets, people don't talk about them because they just automatically assume they're easy to hack. And there's already lots of vulnerabilities. And they assume that you shouldn't hold a lot on there, yeah. but maybe a newbie doesn't assume that, right? Because I've, I've yeah, seen newbies exactly. that are like, here, look at my $4,000 of Bitcoin on my phone. I'm like, ooh, you should get a hardware wallet for that. <laughs> exactly. So here's another topic kind of like along this line. Jameson Lop often says like your Bitcoin security needs to be 10x what the current you know amount is that you see uh, on your balance. Do you kind of have a heuristic around like around that? Like I, I would agree, like when I had 10K worth of Bitcoin, I was like, I need to think about when this, you know, this is 100K worth of Bitcoin and what security I should have there just because the price does tend to appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great way to think about it. I haven't really thought about it in that sense. I guess my heuristic, also one of the reasons I, I started building a hardware wallet was just my gut, my gut feel. <laughs> Where yeah. And in context, in 2015, I think, was there only the Trezor? That was the only option out there? Or was there, there not even, it was Trezor with me? Yeah. So I, I guess I started working on it myself in 2014. At the time, I was a neuroscientist. And I started working on it in my spare time after coming home from the lab. And the concept of hardware wallet existed, but there was nothing on the market yet. So Ledger so, yeah. and Trezor were, were talking, but also around that time, there, there's quite infamous kind of thoughts around hardware in general. So like a lot of mining rigs were being sold around that time. and Bad mining rigs, like Butterfly Labs yeah, and stuff like that. They're being sold, but not delivered, or they're being sold and you're already, they already don't work that don't have enough hash rate. So there's a lot of scams around hardware. And it was just a complete open question if, to me if, if hardware wallets are going to come out or not. So I just decided to start making my own. And yeah, and it, it went well. Went to some Bitcoin meetups in, in Zurich here in Switzerland. It's where I met Jonas. 
got a lot of great feedback and we just decided, okay, this is important for Bitcoin. Let's try to make a company out of it, help other people. But going back to, to the heuristics, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was just, I guess, being, coming with a scientific background, engineering background, I kind of understood a bit some of the security risks. And so it took me about two weeks before I was comfortable actually holding the Bitcoin that I had bought. So I, I set up an air gap computer using S, you know, USB sticks to transfer transactions back and forth between that. I did, it, it took me a while before feeling comfortable. I was kind of working in the dark a bit back then also. And I was like, okay, there's, there's a need for hardware wallets here. And, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but you are just so, so far ahead and advanced to <laughs> even be at that stage of like understanding of like, this is the pro like this is the security that this protocol demands and truly like using usbs to to air gap a computer and you know manage that in 2014 like that is what that like that's far and beyond you know what the typical person was using yeah well i don't know maybe the typical person back then was quite quite hardcore hardcore technical also that's true yeah but still, I know people who got in 2011, and I know for a fact that they would not be doing that. They, they're the type that, I just had Core running on my computer. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and, and then the gut, the gut feel thing is just, you know, I, I did not feel safe with, with Bitcoin in an Electrum wallet on, on my desktop that I connect to the internet all the time. I just did not feel safe at all. And I think we hear it a lot. And of course, when, when the price goes up, you know, people start talking about hardware wallets a lot more. It's just... This gut feel, and I guess part of that also is being aware of security, being aware of what it means to be online and what can happen online. And, you know, in the news, all, all the time you hear stuff every week about hacks occurring. And I think, you know, a lot of people, we can go back into the behavioral aspect of Bitcoin again. A lot of people, you know, they hear that. And if they don't have Bitcoin, they don't have a financial stake in this news. They're like, okay, whatever. But once you have a financial stake in this news, you know, even if you're not consciously thinking about hacks and stuff it starts to dig in subconsciously and you're like oh that's interesting so I, I think another interesting aspect of bitcoin is it really sh changes people's perspectives about you know what it means to be what it means to be online what it means to actually you know have more and more of your your personal your person yourself your finances but also even your your id your your life online and I'm hoping also a side effect of Bitcoin will be a bit more consciousness around privacy and what it means to have privacy online. You know, it's not a good thing to share your whole life as we as we see in the news. Yeah, I mean, and I guess this is kind of a good place to zoom out a little bit and talk about, you know, kind of like the more core fundamental aspects of Bitcoin, which is, you know, effectively Bitcoin kind of teaches you and forces you to be a responsible like digital citizen. Like right now we're all online acting extremely irresponsibly, like not, un not really understanding what we're doing, giving these service providers enormous amounts of information. And again, Bitcoin fixes this by breaking this. Like, you know, can you, can you talk a little bit more about like the, this big, I know we talked, we already talked about the Bitcoin future, but this Bitcoin future where people take a little bit more personal responsibility, people are a little bit more cautious as they navigate the, the seas of the internet. Like, you know, what does that look like to you? Yeah, I guess we're doing the interview in a bit backwards or now I keep going back to the foundation stories. <laughs> so it's all good. 
<laughs> when I first founded the company, originally we were called not Shift Crypto, but Shift Devices. And, and back at that time, also Edward Snowden was in the news a lot. And, you know, I, I, I felt that people were starting to pay a little bit more attention to what it means to have data online, what it means for, you know, governments and others to, to be spying on their citizens and, and things like that. But I didn't really feel that people were doing anything about it. And my feeling was it wasn't that people didn't want to do anything about it. It was just that they didn't have the tools to, to actually do something about it. And so when I made the company, more broadly speaking, I wanted to make devices that would not only help people shift their perspectives, but also shift their behavior when, when they're online. And so I shift devices was, was the original name of the company. And yeah, and one, one of the, so, so we had, a, of course, a broader vision than, than just Bitcoin, but somehow protecting your whole digital life that, that's online. As, as far as a business, of course, you have to focus. We're, we focused on Bitcoin in particular. And of course, that's, we're quite happy to focus on that. It's an obvious area where security online makes sense. But we think, you know, more broadly speaking, as, as more and more data gets put online, either openly by yourselves or in databases by, by companies, you know, it's a bigger and bigger honeypot for, for people to attack, to do lots of different things with it. And you, know, you mentioned before, you, know, you, you want to protect your house key because you don't want someone to break in to your house, right? And you want to protect your car key because you don't want someone to steal your car. And so I think this, this concept of actually having a physical key that you use to protect valuable things, I, I think it applies to the digital world too. Because for a lot of people, what's online could be even more valuable than what's in your home. You know, your, your life is online now. I mean, it's, I feel like it's effectively become that for the majority of the planet. The planet yeah. that's on the internet, that's probably the case. Yeah, I, th I think so too. And so I think in that sense, it makes a lot of sense to want to lock this up. And so I think physical keys, like hard hardware wallets for Bitcoin, it's a physical key that you can keep in your pocket. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think sometime in the future, you know, people are going to have physical keys like on their keychain, just like they have a key for their, their house or their car. Absolutely. And I think that heuristic makes a ton of sense, I guess, in terms of like, like it makes a lot of sense. Like people are going to have this, this secure digital signing device that, you know, others can rely on them you know, as an, that as like an identifier. I think that that heuristic makes a lot of sense. And it feels like something the internet has been missing for a long time. Is that somewhere like in terms of shift crypto, do you see the company going more generalized and the hardware becoming more generalized as these concepts become more prevalent across the internet? Yeah, I think, I think long-term that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's the direction that things could go. I hope they go that way. But, you know, as far as our company itself, you know, I, I think that's uh, midterm, short term, it's not on the roadmap, just for the simple fact that focus is so important. And so recently, I guess about a half a year ago with the company, we decided to narrow our focus even more so, and specifically to the Bitbox hardware wallet and also the, the app. And so we had some other interesting projects, for example, Bitbox Base, which is a full node that we were making a tamper-evident packaging product that we developed solved the supply chain issue. So you could tell if something was tampered with along the way. I think really cool, really important products, but we, we put those on pause because we wanted to ha have enough focus, have enough resources put to the, the hardware wall itself, try to take that to the higher level. Now, I think we've done that. 
think we've re really done well with the, the Bitbox itself. We think it can stand on its own with respect to the competitors. Uh, of course, I'm biased, but I think it has a superior UX and also security concept to the competitors. And so, yeah, we want to we build up that business, make sure it's solid. And then once that's going, we'd be quite happy to expand into some of these other areas again. I guess last question, and then we can wrap it up. But what is next for, for the Bitbox O2, especially from a like hardcore Bitcoiner perspective? <laughs> so what's next for the Bit Bitbox O2? Yeah, we, we've had a lot of releases recently. I guess one thing, we're going to have a new release either next week or the week after that I think is pretty cool which is basically the ability to, to roll your own wallet. And so we'll have a blog post on it also. But basically, currently, when you set up a wallet, you, you have to use the, the random number generators in the device itself. And so entropy random numbers is crucial for, for creating your wallet. You don't want any backdoors in there. But what we do currently, we think is quite strong. We use, I guess, five different sources of entropy. We have two random number generators on two different chips inside the device. We also use some randomness from the computer that's fed into that. Uh, we also use some randomness during the factory installation, a random number set, and also randomness from the user itself, a hash of the password. And so we cryptographically combine all that in order to generate your wallet. But all that said, one of our big policies is to try to remove trust as much as possible. And so that includes also allowing users to load their own, their own wallet into the device. And so you can do that already if you have a mnemonic seed. But now we also have an option where you basically can roll dice to generate your own randomness. And we'll have a protocol where you can convert the dice rolls into mnemonic words. And you can enter that all into the device itself. And the tricky part, well, not, I mean, not so tricky technically, but tricky in that you can't do it fully manually by yourself is because the last word, the 24th word is actually a not a random number, it's a, it's a checksum. And so yep. now we added, we added the, uh, in the device itself, will automatically calculate that for you. So you can basically use dice to, to make your own wallet, which I think that's pretty cool. Well, again, they say you can't ban Bitcoin because you can't ban math. And that just kind of shows you can use, <laughs> I know you can pick words out of a hat, you can roll a dice using the software you guys created. Like Bitcoin truly is, is just information. It's beautiful. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, we've been, developing multi-sig, trying to get the, the proper protocol in place we talked about before. So that'll be coming with integrations to, to these other great wallets, but in the future, we'll add it to our own wallet app itself. So that'd be native. I think we can do a lot of, a lot of nice things with that. One thing also, maybe not so much for the, the hardcore expert users, but for the new users, we're going to have ability to, to buy Bitcoin also in the app coming in the next week or two. And we think that's, that's really nice for getting people onboarded and so, you know, when you're in the hardware wallet space, of course, you, you can be in your own bubble and you think like the, the ultimate thing is security. That's what people need. That's what everyone needs. But if you're a new user to, to Bitcoin, the first thing you think about isn't security. The first thing is, how can I get some? I want to buy some. And so we think with, with our UX, we try to make it as simple as possible. But now you can basically say, hey, if you want to get interested in Bitcoin, just buy a Bitbox and you're all set. You can buy it super easily. And then on the side, you get state-of-the-art security and self-sovereignty. Well, the idea of having a newbie buy a hardware wallet and then just buying Bitcoin and having it sent directly to a wallet that they control out the gate and not having to even go through the process of like, here's an exchange. This is why it's so important to take it off of the exchange. Here's like the limits and go through that whole rabbit hole. I do think that that is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah, we do too. So we're, we're quite looking forward to the reception of that when it comes out.
Awesome. Well, Douglas, thank you so much for your time. I know you stayed up late to chat with me. Why don't you give our audience your last word and kind of chime in where you people can learn more about you and about Shift Crypto? Yeah. So again, thanks for thanks for this. Thank you for waking up so early <laughs> to, to have this, considering our time zones. But yeah, I'm happy as a company. We're really happy to to hear from from you, uh, all the all the users out there. Really value feedback. So please come come check us out. Come come contact us. We're on Twitter. You can see we're on Telegram. Also, you can find out more about us at shiftcrypto.ch for Swiss. And you can find links to to our media there. And you can learn a lot more about the Bitbox and a lot more that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Awesome. Yeah, make sure to check out Douglas. Make sure to check out the team over at Shift Crypto and all the stuff that they're working on. Again, I've tried out pretty much every hardware wallet out there and Shift Crypto and the Bitbox O2 is absolutely worth your time. You guys, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find Bitcoin Magazine and everything we do at BitcoinMagazine.com and at Bitcoin Magazine on Twitter. Check us out on Mastodon too, as uh, you know the centralized overlords come down on us. The Bitcoiners are always uh, one step ahead. So Bitcoin Magazine is over on the at Bitcoin Hackers instance of Mastodon. So check that out too. And cheers to all the Bitcoiners and cheers to 40k. <laughs> cheers. Thanks a lot. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.